The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my very cool co-hosts. Lauren Ash. Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about the final act, Act 5, of Kentucky Route Zero. So we've been talking about Kentucky Route Zero on and off for a little while now. Uh, It felt at first like we were going to become the Kentucky Route Zero podcast for like a good solid month, and so we started taking breaks Uh, And so we're finally here at the final act. And this episode of The Short Game, we're going to be discussing the interlude between Act 4 and 5. That's called Un Pueblo de Nada. Uh, Then we're going to be discussing Act 5, the conclusion of Kentucky Route Zero. And we'll also be discussing the secret final act of Kentucky Route Zero, uh, which is called Death of the Hired Man. Epilogue. (laughs) Yes. all All of this is obviously in spoiler territory if for whatever reason you aren't up to date on the uh, the Kentucky Route Zero episodes. I definitely recommend them. I've had a lot of fun playing and talking about this game. Altogether, uh, the whole Kentucky Route Zero thing is about 10 hours. So even uh, even if you take the entire thing as a thing, I think it still kind of fits in our wheelhouse as a short game. And that's including interludes. Yeah. Exactly. It just happens to be a short game that we have covered for five episodes. <laughs> so. Well, considering each time we try to record, it ends up being like two hours. I think that's fair. And, and this is one of the... I, I love a conclusion that doesn't outstay its welcome. Yeah. I would say that combined all three of these is about two, two and a half hours mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, for all of these sections. And the the heart of it, the, the act five is, for me, it was just about an hour. So we're going to kind of kick things off by talking about Un Pueblo de Nada, which is uh, Spanish, of course, for a town of nothing. One of the more interesting interludes, and I think I'm super glad that I ended up playing Un Pueblo de Nada because I think it's really vital for Act 5. It's uh, it's set in WEVP, the uh, the broadcasting station, the, the small community television station uh, that's been referenced a few times previously. So where we left our cast, the main cast, before this interlude uh, at the end of act four, uh, we had just sort of finished our journey along the echo and Shannon and her uh, and her companions are climbing the spiral staircase out of the echo and up to who knows where, hopefully dogwood drive. And we'd, we'd seen references to WEVP throughout that act, act four. So for example, um, many of the tapes on the uh, the mammoth were you know the the VHS tapes that you were able to watch were broadcasts recorded from WEVP um, and uh, you know the fact that there's a storm is referenced well essentially when we cut to El Un Pueblo de Nada although it's not a hundred percent clear when you're playing through it uh, what we're seeing is WEVP the the uh, the community television station uh, recording. About the same time, I believe what we're seeing here is essentially concurrent with the events of Act 4 or near the end of Act 4. Mm-hmm. And it definitely is like the night before Act 5, which is why we keep saying like it's. it makes Act 5 make a hell of a lot more sense because um, it is raining continuously. Uh, you are recording a tape. And if you had decided to go watch tapes in the boat in Act 3. Uh, oh, yes. You, 
it, it's very linked to this because it, it's implied kind of like the video library that they have is very similar to the tapes on the mucky mammoth mm-hmm. and that the, the tapes WEVP watching, recordings. Yeah. Exactly. So they, this is recording this TV station and also the TV station has like little clips of other things that are, it's all very circular, but you're watching tapes of tapes basically. So the way that this act plays out, it's it's yet another one of the acts that's sort of told in the round. Uh, so uh, the entertainment played out this way where you are sort of a, you're playing as essentially like a fixed point in the center of a space and you can look around in 360 degrees. And that's the case for Un Pueblo de Nada as well. Um, you are uh, sort of plop down in the center of the uh, fairly small recording and broadcast building. Uh, to one side, you've got this little broadcast set up with a bunch of equipment. And to another side, you've got uh, a sort of a set where they're recording the evening broadcast, a kind of a, a two-person uh, chat show kind of thing. Uh, and then also surrounding, we've got the bookshelves and milk crates and whatnot that make up the video library. Uh, and also the weather report area is off there at some point, which is weird. Um, the weather report we could talk about in a minute. So what 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 happens in the in the weather report? I remember there's been many references to weather throughout the game. Like uh, the 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 most recently they they spent some time talking about the weather in the uh, in the circular uh, uh, the underground uh, cave mm-hmm. river um, and the the fact that it had its own weather patterns. Well, what are you seeing here? So it's not so much that the weather is interesting, it's the way they do it. There's some really cool visual spins in this chapter, and the weather report's one of them. So one thing is you're the producer, Emily, in the middle, and you're looking around, and each time you look at something, like little sketches are put on top of them. Like you'll be like, you'll click through a conversation with someone, and they're looking at ghosts in a radio, and like little sketches of radios will appear around them, and it's very cool. The other thing that happens is, um, sometimes there's cool stuff that the radio station does, and it's implied that the weather report is just a projector where they're mixing dyes on top of transparencies so that, like, the weather report is a printed out transparency with words like flash flood warning, and then he moves it onto a projector and he'll mix weird um, chemicals to make like a tie-dye effect and then he'll slide the projector down and remix on top of the next one. So he's just like doing live tie-dye on top of this transparency projector. It's kind of like half actual weather report and half like art project and it's it's pretty, it's accompanied by weird Moog music. I, I, I like that bit a lot. The, the sort of main thing that's going on here, of course, though, is that like the, they're doing the evening broadcast um, you know, Emily, the sort of, uh, we've seen Emily before. Emily is one of the people who was playing, uh, Dungeons and Dragons or whatever in the, um, in the basement of Equus Oils and has shown up a few other times. For example, she was in, um, uh, though the art gallery, uh, interlude, yeah. yeah, interlude. Um, but, uh, Emily is the producer of the show. She clearly works at WEVP and uh, there's the show is, is uh, an interview between Rita, who's just sort of a, you know, a, a friendly uh, person about town who clearly works at the station. Uh, and Maya, Maya is an out of towner who's come to town to look at the famous uh, dirt mounds or burial mounds. They're referred to different ways uh, in town. Um, because she's an artist who works in earth and her medium is creating large earthen mounds. 
Uh, and so she's here to kind of check out the local earthen mounds. Um, and we get a lot of background about the town here without learning much about where this town is or what its significance is. Um, that all comes later with Act 5. But like we learn about this town being that it's also a place similar to the places down in the Echo, uh, like the uh, the Central Exchange. This is a place that's been sort of abandoned by the power company. You know, this was once a company town, and then the company pulled out, and then there's some... Uh, there's some legal reason that they have to continue to fund this tiny little uh, television station, this community television station. So it's like a abandoned company town with a falling, literally just falling apart, mostly abandoned community television station that is just sitting here putting out just the most bizarre content in the world. But there's, they say like, we're kind of happy in a way they, like we're sad for the town that we got abandoned, but there's space for our weird art now because there's no one in charge. <laughs> yeah, you kind of get the feeling that like this is a weird artist collective of people who's like m- the most important thing in the world to them is like incredibly low rent uh, video art public access television. And um, everybody is drop, you know, people are dropping by to give them VHS tapes. People are calling in to tell them like, like very boring stories, very boring stories live on the air. Uh, people are falling asleep in their chairs live during broadcasts. Um, all the while, it's just like raining and and like the storm is getting really serious and people are people are really starting to seem concerned. There's a really gr- there's some really great bits in this. Like I, it, it, like a lot of Kentucky Route Zero, it doesn't feel like this has exactly a plot other than that people are working hard to keep this broadcast going until finally they can't anymore because of this storm. Um, but like, there's some really good bits. Uh, you know, the the conversation between Maya and uh, and Emily, uh, or sorry, between Maya and Rita about uh, like, I guess like earthen mounds and earthen mounds as artwork is a, a kind of an interesting one. Um, Rita is very excited to show Maya a video that explains the history of the town in a very oblique way. Um, it's all in Spanish. Yeah, it, it's all in Spanish. I, there's subtitles though, right? Like I'm not crazy. Like, or did I have to look that up later? I'm not crazy. I didn't see subtitles, but I also was able to translate the Spanish. It's just really hard. So I basically paused reading the English text until after the dialogue had moved because I could not read English and translate Spanish. Oh, you know what I'm um, thinking of? There's subtitles if you watch the if you watch the recording on wevp.tv, the website. Yeah, you can go watch. So the the shenanigans are going on. You can actually go watch the recording um, afterwards, which is really cool. Yeah, what's really wild about this is that, like, you know, obviously, you're the most of the act is you sort of seeing the uh, seeing what's going on just off camera during this broadcast. But if you go to like in your literal actual web browser, you can go to wevp.tv, and there's a number of videos there, and one of them is the broadcast. the The developers of this mm-hmm. cast actors. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. When you told me about this, I tried loading that up in my browser, and all I get is color bars. Oh, no, it, it clears it, once yeah. you fix. It starts. It eventually starts. Um, if you uh, if you click around, it, it'll eventually start. Um, but yeah, it is an actual broadcast with actors cast as these characters. So like 
Uh, it's line for line the same as what happens during the broadcast. It's just, of course, in the interlude, you're seeing everything that's happening around it. But it is also really interesting and weird to see these characters portrayed both with the sort of Kentucky Route Zero faceless art style and with text only versus like a fully acted out thing with actual actors and, you know, actual voices. Um, but yeah, the, the that version, the WEVP.TV version, when they cut to the, the video, it does have the subtitles. Um, and so we learn a lot about the history of the town. Uh, does this town ever get a name? No. Well, it feels relevant to talk about this history anyway, that the, the, the town, uh, maybe the Pueblo de Nada, I suppose, um, the people that inhabit this town are there living on kind of the uh, living on the remnants of a previous town that was occupied, that was there, uh, that was uh, settled by a bunch of people that moved up from Central America. And they're described as having been experimenters. And when they moved to this town, their first experiment was freeing all the horses. And then they set about trying, uh, um, trying hundreds of different ways to ways to be ways to live uh seems like uh like a sort of experimental approach to um you know utopian community building yeah and i will say this is incredibly easy to miss because you have to either speak spanish or go watch the thing online because none of this is actually it's all in a pueblo motto but it's in spanish and it's only on this tape. So like, this is deep lore drops. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely like referenced elsewhere. So like during act five, uh, the people of nothing are referenced quite a bit. But it's, it's not as explicit as it is here. Yeah, this is another area where like, I think playing and really sort of digging your teeth into uh, in Pueblo Donada, the, the interlude, will illuminate a lot of details in uh, in act five. Because it helps... I think a big theme when we get into act five is the idea that like everything is built on a graveyard. Right. And, uh, and the idea that like this town, which is becoming a graveyard itself, uh, is built on the ruins of a town that was there before. And, you know, maybe that was built on something else is this sort of important theme in act five that it helps to kind of get that sense here. Yeah. But you know, my favorite thing about Un Pueblo de Nada is, Mm. More signal jamming Weaver nonsense. <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah. We get yep. some uh, uh, like that. that at, at, what she cuts into the broadcast during in Pueblo de so Nada, right? Weaver yeah. has come in so many times in just such tantalizing ways. Like I, I remember at the very start of all of this, um, the first truly weird thing was your interaction with Weaver and the television, mm-hmm. and the ever since then. She's really appeared in the times where they really wanted to crank up the uh, the strangeness, but also specifically TV related stuff. Yes. So, uh, what what's going on with her now? Do, do we do we get more um, definition around uh, Weaver and her relationship to the rest of the story? A little. So. If you didn't watch the tapes on the boat, this is your first exposure to the idea that Weaver used to work here and has been signal jamming almost ghostly like ever since. So they they keep saying like she's due it. She's due soon. Like we're due for a Weaver signal jam. Like she's going to come 
come sometime and it's getting rainier and rainier. And if you're listening on headphones like I am, you might be getting like lulled into like a, you know, it's it's sleepy bedtime um, rain sounds, but it's turned up and it's a little bit like not sure when the whole thing's going to collapse. And Weaver is almost like, you know, the sense of destiny, like something big is happening. Weaver is going to show up like so she shows up. Um, she signal jams. She walks towards the camera. And then I think that's when th- the station collapses and the power goes out. Like, she is the prophet of that moment. So clarification, no. Really cool atmosphere, yes. Exactly. I, I, I mean, I, I don't – maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. I don't think it's a spoiler. We're already in talking about this as a, as a whole. So I can say that, like – one of the things that was maybe not a surprise about the act five, uh, about the sort of trilogy of pieces here, uh, in Pueblo de Nada act five and, and it's sort of follow up is that we don't get much closure about Weaver. Um, you know, I, I think if anybody's going into the end of Kentucky route zero, hoping that it's going to sort of like wrap up the mysteries and that there's going to be some sort of explanation for things, no, it's not really how the space that this game is interested in operating in. Um, but what I guess we do get is that like Weaver is has been this constant presence throughout the game, um, where we're we've always sort of been unclear. Like, is Weaver just hard to find? Is she a ghost? Uh, you know, where is Weaver, and and what is the what is going on with her? And this game kind of. I, I came down eventually sort of feeling like Weaver Weaver is a ghost. This is a game full of ghosts. And then there are different types of ghosts. Sometimes a ghost is just someone who left town and you don't know where they went. Um, and so, like, it, it's complicated. <laughs> wow, I ended up with a different impression of Weaver altogether. Um, I find her, based on this and Act 5 and some of the other stuff, I think she's between... Um, a person who is nudging people towards their fate and an observer of important moments. Um, I think she's both. I think, so a, I, think in, I think a ghost might do that. <laughs> I think, but I think she's, I, I, I we could talk about the ending of this, but I think we'll it's, get it's, there. We'll get there. But like, I think she's between a ghost and a person and she's in between. Yeah. I think that's, that's reasonable. Um, so yeah, is anything else we want to say about Un Pueblo de Nada? I, I think it's one of the most visually interesting parts of the entire game. Uh, and it's probably my second favorite of the interludes after the entertainment, which I just really, really liked for one reason or another. But uh, I was about to say low on magical realism, and then I forgot that a crow runs the video bank. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Best character in the possibly game. Possibly sentient crow named Slow-Mo. Slow-Mo the Crow. crow. Um, Emily's um, definitely dating Slow-Mo Crow, right? Um, yeah, it's implied or, or she cares for it. Like she's either dating the crow or it's her pet crow. She calls it babe at least twice. Right. She calls it babe. And when you go and select the crow, uh, rather than doing the regular, like, hearts come around the crow. All around the crow. I didn't think she was in a relationship with the crow, but that is a totally legitimate read on the crow situation. I am, I am a hundred percent sure that they are dating and I am into it. I mean, Nothing in this game contradicts that at all. And I, <laughs> so, um, you know, I did get um, 
uh, knowing how uh, pretentious Chicago theater people these uh, writers are, I did get Skin of Our Teeth vibes from this, um, which is an Oscar, not Bob, no. Skin of Our Teeth is a Thornton Wilder play. Um, and at the end of act two, basically the stage collapses because of Noah's Ark flooding. Oh. So I was like, yep, this feels like Skin of Our Teeth, <laughs> which had a big Chicago production check watch three years ago <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah this I, we should say this this particular act uh came out at the beginning of 2018 and so there was quite a wait between uh un pueblo de nada and act five um but the the two feel very connected so at the very end of act five or sorry of, of un pueblo de nada the the uh, broadcast studio collapses and then at, we begin Act Five, and uh, once again we're playing sort of in the round. Uh, so you've got a camera placed at the center. In this case, instead of being at the center of the building, we're now at the center of the town. And I very quickly realized that oh, this is the town where WEVP was because well, first of all, you can see it right there. Like if you look out from that center point in town, which is right above a sort of a hole, a massive hole in the ground with a spiral staircase going down into it. So our uh, our company from the Echo, from the Mammoth, have climbed up and out and come out of the ground in the very center of town following a massive flood. So uh, WEVP uh, stands in town partially destroyed. Uh, there's water on the ground everywhere. And everyone's just sort of standing around with a bunch of furniture that they've carried up from the truck and just sort of standing around the lip of this massive hole in the ground, uh, sort of wondering what to do next now that they've escaped the echo. Yeah, it's time to make the delivery. And one of my favorite things is they they comment on how all of that furniture could have possibly fit on the truck. And one of the options is it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> yep. But that the other big surprise about the beginning of Act 5 is that you're not playing as any of the characters that we are accustomed to playing as here. Well, we've already kind of let go of Conway. So, so how do we, how are we feeling about letting go of all the characters here? Well, I think it's, that's a really good way to phrase it because you are, this act is about kind of all of the characters making decisions for themselves Mm -hmm. and kind of deciding you're letting them go in one way or the other. You are, let it, choosing things that will decide whether they stay in town, whether they go, whether they stay together, whether they drift apart. But you are very much, you know, they're an ensemble now for the first time, literally. Every single person you've met and some people you may have not have all kind of ended up in this town. And not literally everybody, but like Flora's there. And like all these mm-hmm. people you may be peripheral characters or you realize they all have lived in this town. And you play um, as this, you actually play like as a firefly cursor that a cat is chasing and you kind of play as this cat. Yeah. And so you you just run around and you can take them in. You drift in and out of their conversations, but you don't feel like you are necessarily, there's no lead anymore. Yeah, you're no, no longer controlling any character. The, the cat is at best an observer. Um and what I do kind of love about it is that it, it 
it, it tells uh, the story of basically the day following, right? The day following the uh, emergence out of the Echo. So it starts with a sunrise. Yeah, you know, the the whole game of Kentucky Route Zero took place over one long summer night, right? And suddenly it's the it's the sunrise, and this cat is just chilling out, being a cat, and you can kind of circle the hole, essentially, you can run around as the cat um, and the entire town is is accessible to you, but it sort of feels like this big spiral of of land just surrounding this massive hole in the ground where you which is your point of view. Um, and as you move from place to place, uh, time will progress a little bit by little bit and you'll see different scenes play out and uh, you get to check in with all of these characters. So you know we'll see, uh, Ezra talking to Junebug and Johnny, or we'll see Ezra talking to uh, the old man that lives in the town and maintains an old airplane, or you know all the other sorts of uh, sorts of scenes that play out. Mostly, mostly there's sort of two main threads that go on through all these scenes. Uh, one is that these new arrivals in town are kind of wondering. Well, first of all, wh- where do we deliver this stuff to? You you very very soon discover. Five Dogwood Drive is this massive, extremely iconic looking uh, concrete, almost sort of figure of a house. It reminds me of like a Brechtian stage set or something. Um, It's like if someone hollowed out a Monopoly house and left a complete like open space on either side. Yeah, it's like a sculpture of a house, but like an extremely minimalistic sculpture at a really large scale, which makes it like a, like a, like what there are so many potential uses for this, this space. It sort of looks like a doorway or a gate because there's stairs on both sides. You can pass through it, but it's also like shelter. There is a roof, you know, they, they start putting furniture in it. And it, it's apparently just appeared out of nowhere and no one lives there. And you kind of, the theme is like, do we make this our home? Or do we pass through it? Is or this is, is that some- is this a house or a gate is a kind of an interesting question because it's sort of the question of of the act for many of these characters is like, is this a home? Do we stop here or do we pass on through? Yeah, so that's the forward-looking theme. And the other theme I would say is backwards-looking theme, where you're looking at like the mess of the night before, cleaning up the dealing with the rem- little remains, those wild horses. Yeah. Uh, the neighbor, they call them the neighbors, have died. And you're, you know, one of the characters, Ron, is digging a grave for them, is mourning them. The the town is preparing for memorial. People mm-hmm. are cleaning up. People are deciding, like, is the is it, do I need to abandon my home? So those are kind of the two, like, it's that forward-looking, the newcomers are trying to decide, is this a new place for us? And other people are trying to decide if it's, if they should stay or go, uh, reinvest in the town or not. Um it's funny the like cat running in circles thing is literally like a clock that winds and it seems like after doing a little research that some of the com- if you're on the the main conversations on those tracks time will continue but there's also like random conversations you can have about like someone sleeping off a hangover or like we haven't even gotten to the ghosts <laughs> uh, but the so I'm hanging out in a uh, like doing a cat thing in a field, and suddenly this like black mysterious shrouded figure just starts walking across the field, and I follow it, and I 
suddenly like, like you do yeah like you do and he goes to a like area of town and i i click the interact button and my cat jumps into a tire and hides and rest and then i suddenly get a scene from the past so you find out this town is literally inhabited by the ghosts of the past and the first ones I got were those people from Pueblo Nada, that experimental artist colony. But mm. over time, you also see the past versions of people you're talking to. So you can see a conversation where like a young, well, again, they're all like shrouded figures, but you click on it and it's clear that it's the young version of the people you just talked to who are old now. Mm-hmm. So this is a town that like the old versions of yourself and the old versions of people of the past are living there and are visible and you can kind of hang out and see conversations from the past I, a- along all this actual plot stuff. It's just like, that was my favorite part of this was, was just hanging out and looking into the past. It's it, the idea of like a funeral for horses. It's, it's so much sadder in the game than it seems like it should be on the, on the surface, but it's, it's uh, it, it's sad because it's essentially the town burying itself. You know, the, these horses, they, they've made reference several times to the fact that, like, the the people of nothing that built this town originally or built the town that this town stands on top of the ruins of uh, freed their horses as their first act. And these wild horses have sort of looked over this town for many, many generations of people and horses. And now with all of the horses dead... Um, it's sort of implied that that the town is dead too, and they're preparing. They're mourning this it. version of the town exactly, yeah. and they're they're preparing to sort of bury it. And and you know most of the decisions that you make in terms of dialogue in this act, you know, there are still some scenes where even though you are sort of just playing essentially as the cat listening in, you still do get to make some dialogue choices. And most of the choices are about whether these characters are going to stay or go, because um, it feels like the ties that have kept these people in this place are now kind of severed um, and they either need to find some new way to Laura said, you know, invest in the town, some new, new thing that they want to do here or move on. And, and everyone is sort of finding their own ways to move on. One of my very favorite lines in this happens during a conversation between uh, Ron and Clara, two of the people that you know live in the town. Clara is the, uh, the uh, theremin player, I think from the mammoth. Yeah. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. that, anyway, um, she's talking Again, about literally everyone, almost everybody you've ever met that has a reason or not even a reason to be here has shown up in this. Yeah. Town. And Claire's talking about moving on and having a new gig. And uh, and one of Ron's uh, dialogue options is, but with everyone gone, who will feed these ghosts? And I was like, I love that line so much. But um, like, mm-hmm. it, it is sort of like, this is a place full of these ghosts and, and you know, the, this this place is so full of its own history, and with everyone gone, that sort of goes away, right? I don't know. It's it's um, it's a very melancholy ending to a story, and in some ways, it feels pretty disconnected from the story that came before. You know, we don't see what happened to Conway. We don't really hear about Weaver. We don't even really learn much about what Shannon's plans for the future are or whether this group, we get some choices about whether the the group of people are going to stay together and stay here in this place or whether they're all just sort of stopping here for a time and moving on. Um, And some of that is like explicit choices that you make, but mostly it feels a bit more roundabout, like just sort of little lines of dialogue that imply one way or the other. Um, 
But it, it also sort of feels like a very fitting conclusion to this story. You know, it, it it's it, it's a story of of people sort of I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I could really put my finger There's, on it, but well, it's for a, a chapter that an act that feels so different from all the others. There are a bunch of callbacks, and mm-hmm. it's not just like. People who have been talking about, like, for example, Johnny and Junebug, you get to decide whether you are going to keep touring with Ezra, where you're going to, like, are you going to create a performance space here and, like, turn the old church into a, a performance space? You can ask about acoustics. Like, you you can decide whether to try to keep finding, a like, a, a new place elsewhere or make this one work. Um but also, like, just explicit callbacks. There was a paper boat that I let sail earlier, and the paper boat's just in the water. <laughs> like, the biggest one for like, me was the the D twenty. Uh, there's a moment where, oh yeah, uh, where uh, Shannon gets to give the D twenty to the um, you know the trio that was playing D and D, and it felt a little bit like a circular timeline thing to me. There's certain At the beginning things about of the game. Yeah, there's certain things about this that made me think it's that 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 perhaps there's something about this timeline that is circular. So like they get the D20 that later they are using and then lose in act one. Um, maybe they're future ghosts. Right. Um, and there's other things about it, but the, the, the game is very concerned with circles and circular th- things being circular. Like the, the menu is circular. This game, this act and several of the preceding ones uh, kind of take place in a circular perspective. Like there's, there's definitely a sort of a feel of like a cycle or circular nature to things going on through these, much more so than at the beginning too. And knowing that we have to talk about the memorial, I will say that the biggest circular thing and the biggest callback is Weaver. The very last thing in the, the game, Weaver sitting on the steps of your house. Yeah. They not even comment out on, by the way. Like you just walk past her and she's sitting there. No, I and I, I was like, at first I wasn't sure. I took a screenshot because I was like, I can't tell if that's Weaver. I, I had to take a screenshot and zoom in on it later. But there she was sitting on the steps with uh, with Shannon uh, as the as the game ends. Uh, it's it's a beautiful act and it's really like I don't know if I have as much to say about it as I did about some of the previous ones. You know, other acts left me feeling fired up about some idea or what have you. You know, you you heard me get very political about some of these acts because they the game has a very distinct political perspective and one that that I found very um uh invigorating, I guess would be the way to put it. Um this game this particular act, I, I left it mostly sort of feeling, I think, in a way like the characters did ready to set down a sort of a burden and walk away from a thing. The burden of podcasting. (laughs) The burden of podcasting. Well, I chose a a good amount of people to stay and move into the cool house together. And and some people I was like, no, this person should go. They've got a gig in Nashville. Keep your gig. Um, But I think that the the most cathartic, like, epilogue-y moment to it really was the memorial for the horses where there were um, poems you could that were being read and then they sing a song and as the song is playing all the ghosts slowly materialize around the town until the end is like there's almost more ghosts than people mm-hmm. and and then everyone the ghosts all disperse people all disperse and it feels like oh we did the ritual we're released now yeah and that almost like that feels like a very good ending to Kentucky Route Zero where literally the ghosts disappear and then the people leave and you can just the people who stay stay people who go go and 
everyone is doing what they need to for themselves and everyone else is okay with it. Yeah, and it, it does a wonderful job of like reminding it, – it, it has this very clear theme of like – like I, the way they phrase it in the game is like, uh, uh, you know, something like, you know, this town is, is built on a graveyard, but isn't that true everywhere? Um, that like everything in the world is built on, you know, the bones of the past – um, and that ties back to, to a lot of the, like the themes of things like the, um, uh, a lot of the themes from, from earlier acts in that, like there's, I wish I was doing a better job of expressing this stuff because it, it feels very, it feels ephemeral. It feels very clear in my mind when I'm, when I'm playing it. And then these themes are, are harder to, to lay my finger on later, but like so much of the previous acts was about the sort of the fact that a lot of these um, these specific types of suffering or, or that that people were in, enduring in the various places that we sort of traveled through uh, is part of a system that is what affects all of us and that it has affected everyone throughout all of time, essentially. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good way of expressing it, but like something something about this sort of made me think like, yes, the, you know, yes, the power company pulled up stakes and moved away from here, but it's somewhere else now. And, you know, the, that there's, and that, you know, some, this, this will happen again here too. But I think what's hopeful about this though, and maybe this is just my, like my theater major bullshit coming in, but I I think that the fact that they close it with a ritual Mm -hmm. is really what makes this feel hopeful. It's that they take the time to memorialize it, to honor it, and move on. Like, they close it. They, they literally ring a bell. Like, they, they have a ceremony yeah. before everyone leaves. And it makes everyone feel better about doing what they need to do. And I think that's, to me, like, so many things in this game have petered out, have just slowly evolved or changed or just just disintegrated and this is actually like no we had a catastrophic event but we're gonna be okay let's say that this like let's put a note in this let's get some closure them to sing that praise above some beautiful day for glory to him who died for me I'm going that way I know I shall meet him at the gate when trials are past. I know I shall meet him face to face in glory at last. Oh, I believe that when we meet, well done, he'll say. Trusting the soul and deep in love, I'm going that way. I'm going that way. And I think that's why this feels good. I agree. As I agree. To like it makes slow, it a it like, makes it a mindful choice, right? That they're yeah. they're choosing that you know to to celebrate it and walk away. Yeah. And I I love that too. I I just or I, it felt it. In the moment, though, it's still the melancholy of it was still pretty, pretty, pretty felt and really connected to the sort of more melancholy elements of the previous acts to me on a thematic level, if not like a very specific 
way. It, 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 it's strange. Like you're, you're right, Laura, that, that it feels very, very different from the previous acts. But it also felt. I mean, it's it's also connected. Let's just it. talk about it's bright. Right. There yeah. is light. It is sunny. You are not in a cave. Mm-hmm. It is not nighttime. Like it feels different. It's apocalyptic, but the sun is shining, and it looks like you're in a beautiful, well lit place. Like it literally feels like a brand new day because it is. Yeah. I- I thought it was visually just the most beautiful. I took several screenshots during this where I'm like, I would, I'm going to use this as a desktop background and just save it forever. <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful looking game. couple things that I wanted to point out in this um, that you get special stuff because you're a cat. There's some really cool text stuff they do. Um, so as a cat, you can't talk, but you do have little weird symbols that when you click are like anxious meow, concerned meow, <laughs> excited meow. They did a lot of recording um, of cats to produce that. They did. They a had lot a of lot of noises. unique cat noises recorded for this. But the other really cool text thing they did, like, so it's not like when you go into zero and it all looks different, but they did, when you're in a ghost memory, it turns into a twine game where oh, you yeah, click yeah. on words in the middle of sentences. Instead of choosing the dialogue, yeah, like, I it'll forgot, say I a forgot sentence. about that. Like that—that's that's brand new for this act. It didn't occur to me at the time, but like, but it's only for the memory. Yeah, so for people who don't play Twine games, it, it's like they'll have a sentence like, like, uh, as, like, um, you know, the stranger or the seer uh, went towards the graveyard and then walked left, and the word graveyard and left will be hyperlinks, and you can click on one of the two to continue the story. It's the only time they've used it. And it's just for memories. Yeah. And it made it feel special, but not something that most people may notice, which I love. That's really true. It's, and that's a stylistic thing. There's nothing like uniquely twine about that. That's just like a stylistic approach that's become common sure. in twine games. But like, I, I, it's a really it's a really good one in that it like, we've talked about this when we talk about twine games on our IF Comp episodes, like that style of hypertext fiction is great because it it makes the choices feel less like a uh, like you are sort of making choices, but it, it keeps you engaged in the text while allowing you to have choices that some some might be consequential and others might not be consequential. It's like it's better than just clicking next 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 a bunch. But it works well for a memory because it's not changeable, right? So you're just getting more information, yeah. And so it fits. It's a, it's a really nice stylistic choice. Yeah, it's a great way for for a game like that's presenting te- you know a, a narrative in a hypertext kind of way like that to let you feel like you're driving something that it's telling you in a in a pretty linear way. I I think it's wonderful, and and um I I've, I don't know it there's it's clearly one of those things where this developer is continually drawing inspiration from other narrative games over the years. They've continued to fold in new ideas as they've gone. That's sort of been the theme of this whole project going forward, going through the years and years it's been going is it's constantly changing in response to, I don't know, it, uh, new inspirations. And and the last thing I wanted to ask is it's a question and a like, what the fuck moment. So I, as the cat, there's this barn and the memorials can happen in front of this barn. And I, of course, run in as the cat and like, it's great because it makes all these like banging noises oh, yeah. <laughs> that you're just like making a fuss. It's like bang, 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 like as you're running around this barn. And there's a part where there's some bats in the barn. And if you go right in the barn, like it comes pixelated and like almost like a TV. And I had a flashback to that first act when Weaver, you look out the window and the TV and there's a barn. And I was like, oh, is this the barn on the TV in the beginning of the game? I think it might be now that you mention it. 
because all the bat I was like it's not a pixel from a TV screen it's a bunch of bats flying and I was like oh god I don't understand this game and I like it <laughs> um and it felt weavery she's definitely sort of present and not present in this town so that certainly makes sense um I I, I don't know I, I like that that's really yeah. It, it, it is full of callbacks to previous acts. And if you're looking for them, they're they're all over the place in this act. So did you have people stay in the town? Mostly no. Um, mm. It felt to me like this was a transitional place. You know, like this town is is through and it feels a little bit like uh, like this is one more step on a journey that these people aren't done with yet. Like Shannon is not coming home to this place. This is the end of a, a story that she's finishing on Conway's behalf to honor him, but it's not her final place. And I felt the same way yeah. about Johnny and Junebug. Like they're touring musicians, man. And Ezra too. Like he needs family, but they don't need to stay here. And I, I also, I don't yeah. know. I, I felt like this was this wasn't a this wasn't a coming home. This was passing through for me. But maybe you guys felt differently about it. And I think it's open to either. I mean, I, I made it the new home base for people. I was like, ah, just because you're going to like set up a thing here doesn't mean you're stuck here. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I, I think a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, I can have a new home. But I don't have to. I can take a plane out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something I think is kind of interesting about this is that you you effectively are choosing for everybody whether they're staying or going. But the ways that you choose are extremely subtle for that sort of thing. Like it, it's all just lines of dialogue that they're not even saying like, hmm, we should definitely stay. It's more like, well, if we did stay, we could do this. Or, well, we have, maybe if we left, we could do this other thing. So, you know, in none of those cases are you really being definitive Although based on your decisions, I think you get slightly different lineups of people sitting at Five Dogwood Drive and, you know, different yeah. arrangements. Um, but it's it, – even even if you make a bunch of choices in this, you can kind of see it either way at the very end, which I kind of appreciated because I did. it made me not worry about like, well, am I sending these people to the right place? You know, you just you were just making decisions about what you thought they thought about leaving, not even necessarily deciding for them. I, I really, really liked this ending. I really, really liked this act. And um, I, I know it's been a little bit more of a divisive thing than some of the previous acts. And I think part of that is because it isn't really a conclusion in the sense that some people were looking for. Some people were really wanting closure about Weaver because they've built up the mystery of Weaver in their mind as this very important mystery that needs to be solved or other similar parts. Can I of the lean game. to our expert on, on, uh, magical realism a little bit here and mm-hmm. can I ask you how typical is this of the endings of magical realist stories? Because I, I, I would kind of get the sense from some that I have seen uh, that strong conclusions that answer lots of questions are, not are certainly not <laughs> something 100%. that you are typically going to find in this genre. And Correct. like, what is it that we are, we expect or want out of an ending in lieu of that? So the most important thing in magical realism is that the changes that the magic have wrought get to run their course and people are different. It does not, by its nature, explain the magic. Um, The magic is part of the world. Everyone accepts it. 
and explaining giving detailed answers is less important than giving satisfying conclusions to the characters Mm -hmm. so it is very much do we have that here do we have satisfying conclusions i think so characters magic realism tends to end in whimpers Mm -hmm. um there's usually a bang 20 minutes before the ending and then it sees it through and it doesn't end on the like high point it ends like it it has a lot of epilogues it likes to have like denouements it likes to talk about you know people going off or starting a new journey or just deciding to stay where they are because they're they're happy now yeah. but like it doesn't really it, it's not a game of like the mystery existing is much more important than the answer and p- people being okay with not knowing the mystery is part of the ending yeah in the genre so this fits. It's just it's not what people expect. But I, we're also as a culture not that well versed in this genre. We're used to the mystery genre where you get a solution, right? And that you um, know, it, it felt like there were mysteries that were waiting to be solved. But part of this ending was sort of like feeling feeling okay with walking away. You know, magical realism is more mysterious than a mystery. It is a that's that's kind of the difference, and it, it's. That's well put. So, like, that's actually something that when I was getting submissions for plays, that was often something that was almost always the thing we spent the most time on in workshops is the last act. And they usually change 360 because, like, finding something that doesn't answer your questions but feels satisfying is so hard. Mm. <laughs> and, like, it, it, it you know, I, I, we got there in some plays and sometimes we didn't. Um, but... It, because you basically have to satisfy an audience that got hooked on the mystery and tell them that the person was more important than the mystery. Yeah. You basically have to be like, hey, the MacGuffin doesn't matter and have you be okay with it. Yeah. So speaking of tricky. the you know, of satisfying conclusions, multiple endings, multiple denouements, like I, I think I'm the only one of the three of us that played the final, final act, the sort of hidden final interlude Death of the, the epilogue. Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saving it. Yeah. But I'd love to know about That's it. That's fine. And I, hopefully I won't be spoiling it too much for the two of you, but I, I, I thought I'd talk about it here a little bit because I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I think of it as a little bit like a sort of after credits sequence, right? We got a real proper ending in the ending of Act 5. And depending on how you played throughout Acts 1 through 5, you may or may not even see the option to play Death of a Hired Man. Um, the the prerequisite is that you have to have interacted with Carrington during the games. And um, Carrington, if you don't recall, is the play director who shows up in Act 1. And uh, then, depending on how you play, can show up several more times. And he is sort of in the background as a side character preparing for a theater production, an experimental theater production. Not really related to what's going on with the main characters in the game, um, just something that's happening in the background, uh, although he's referenced a few places. So the final act, first of all, if you don't see the option to play it, what you have to do is you have to go and restart act one, play as far as when you get the option to leave the uh, Equisoils for the first time, and then immediately double back because then you'll encounter Carrington at the at Equus Oils. This is something I didn't do when I first played Act One, so I had very I had no interaction whatsoever with Carrington in my playthrough. Now I'm I am probably not going to take the opportunity to like go replay through every single act, but it did feel pretty satisfying to double back, have that very first initial conversation with Carrington, 
uh, which I had missed out on the first time through, and then jump into Death of the Hired Man, uh, which it takes place back in the Lower Depths pub, uh, the same setting of the entertainment. And these two felt very similar to me in a way. The camera in Death of a Hired Man is focused on a television uh, the whole time. So there's this small old television that's mostly static, and you've got the option to tune through several dials or through, through several channels on the television. And they are showing loops of really boring television. So there's some infomercials. There's like a fishing show or something. There's one channel in the UHF bands that is literally just an extended shot of the moon that just stares at the moon the entire time. And uh, then what's taking place in the background, you're hearing the dialogue of uh, Carrington and uh, the proprietor of the Lower Depths pub, whose name is escaping me at the moment, um, the, the, the bartender there. And they're, they're talking about Carrington's failed uh, production. Uh, so Carrington was trying to put on a play, an experimental play based on Robert Frost's lengthy poem, The Death of the Hired Man. And The Death of the Hired Man, if you haven't read it in many years or maybe never, it's a, it's a long poem uh, that I had read in high school, but I hadn't read it recently. And so I went back and read it after playing through The Death of the Hired Man. And I kind of am glad I did it in that order. But the, the, the short version of that is that it, the poem is mostly a dialogue between a farmer and his wife. The wife is telling the, the main, the farmer, that a man that previously had worked for them uh, had come back to stay uh, and that he didn't seem well and he, he didn't seem like himself. And um, a, a key, and, and that he's, he's come back saying like he was going to help them with the next harvest, but it's not even time for the harvest yet. And uh, he didn't seem like he was in the right health to do it. And uh, cynically, the, the main character says something along the lines of, you know, why is he coming to here instead of to his home? You know, and he, it's kind of implied that he doesn't have a home, even though he has relatives that, that in a way that this, this, uh, you know, this former employee feels that this farm is his home. Uh, and the wife thinks that he's come there to die. Um, and the, a very key line from the middle that I think is very striking is, uh, something like, uh, home is where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. So that's sort of the theme of the of the poem. Uh, you know, it's themes of like home and belonging, and of uh, labor and death, and dignity in labor and death, and all of those themes. Themes that relate very much to the rest of Kentucky Route Zero. Well, what's sort of very interesting about uh, Carrington's uh, dialogue here is that Carrington comes into the bar and has a conversation with uh, the bartender about uh, about his itinerant janitor that uh, is, first of all, Carrington starts by talking about what a failure his play was. Uh, Not only did they lose their venue, uh, he lost his cast, no audience showed up, nothing happened. The entire play (laughs) was a complete loss, nothing, the the, uh, complete failure. And then he sits down at the bar and has a conversation that is essentially playing out the play regardless. Um, sort of unwittingly playing the play himself uh, in a con- in a conversation that draws a bunch of dialogue, theoretically unwittingly draws dialogue directly from the poem, um, hmm. and it's really it's really nicely done. Um, 
something, one touch about it that I really thought was cool was that you have, you know, your only interaction, this dialogue plays out like the entertainment, the dialogue will play out regardless of whether you're clicking through it or not. Um, occasionally the characters will, will mention something about the TV and the, and their, their dialogue will reference whatever it is you've chosen to put on on the TV. There's a, there's a bit at the end of the poem where the wife talks about sitting and staring at the moon. And at that moment in the play or in the, in the act, I happened to be tuned into the channel that showed the moon and it's, it's sort of perfectly lined up. There's a lot about this that just is a really, really cool. It feels like a good experimental theater version of death of the hired man that is happening by accident, which is brilliant. Anyway, I, I, I love when this game goes full theater nerd, right? And this is one of two places where this game is like explicitly doing a play. And I love it. Um, it, it, it ties back in terms of theme somewhat to the original, to, to the rest of the, the piece. Uh, it doesn't feel completely as tied to the earlier acts as act five did, but it still really is a nice sort of thing to leave you with. Uh, so I, I would absolutely recommend taking the time, even if you didn't interact much with Carrington or at all with Carrington, uh, go ahead and do, you know, boot up act one, take whatever actions are required to interact with Carrington at least once, and then go back and play death of the hired man. And I think it's a really nice thing. And then after you play it, go read the poem. It's a lovely poem. Uh, I guess that's all there is to say about it. So let's take a minute and look back at the entirety of this thing and tell our, our listeners, uh, do you recommend it? That was boring. Don't, don't play this. <laughs> I'm joking. Of course, this yes. is a really, I think it's a landmark game. I mean, you know, we're like the last people in the world to say so. So, uh, you know, hot scoop from the short game. You heard it here first, folks. Kentucky Route Zero, this, you know, almost decade long project. It's good. <laughs> I think sometimes we can forget how much fun it is to play an important game. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that is something that, you know, we talk about these depressing themes and it is a tragedy, but like, honestly, games are often considered seminal because they're good to play. So if you somehow listened to all of our series games and didn't play it, like, please, please play it. Um, just, just talking about it, it is... If you played, let's say, yeah. up to Act 3 or something and you haven't gone back, like, this is... It's it sticks a landing that is not what I would have necessarily expected, but the landing that it sticks, it really sticks. Yeah, I think I think you know it, it's it's one of it's one of the things I'm most glad to have played, um, and it's it's also one of the most theatrical and literary experiences I've ever had with a game, and I I cannot recommend it enough. And I don't know if I have much else to say in terms of conclusion. I've I've said a lot of I've said a lot of my piece about this game in in conversation about the earlier acts, but like, you know, great stuff. <laughs> I guess it's really, uh, yeah, I, I feel a bit like I did at the end of act five, which is like, now I'm sort of walking away from something, but you know, there it is. No, it's been a real pleasure to explore this thing in, in such great depth with you guys. This is a, uh, this is a game that really bears more analysis than pretty much anything else we've ever played, which is why we have devoted so many episodes to it. Do you think that this is a game, like, if we can find more uh, gargantuan, <laughs> lovingly created literary works of games that 
that we would want to continue to dive in this direction with the show. Where would we find that? I mean, hey, well, listen. I feel like no. there's probably more in the Eye of Comp community. Yeah. I mean, we did go oh, back yeah. and play uh, Counterfeit Monkey, so <laughs> I'm sure there's more. I mean, hidden. yeah. Let, let us know, listeners, what games you think measure up to this because I would love to find them. I personally leave this in somewhat of the mood for an action-packed button masher. Yep, me too. Me too. I'm ready to I'm I'm right now I'm playing through The Witness. I'm really enjoying that. It's uh, or not The Witness, jeez. Uh right now I'm playing like, through yeah, uh, button The Messenger. Master the Witness. <laughs> I've been mixing those titles up quite a bit recently, The Messenger and The Witness. I don't know why those are anyway, very different games. I'm playing through The Messenger and really enjoying that. Um, you know, I like like some jump jumpy slashy stuff. Um, you know, sometimes to to have something to go back to that that uh that isn't quite so heavy. But um I don't know. I, I had such a lovely time with this, and I don't know what else to say in terms of conclusion other than, um, uh, you know, hope you guys out there are doing well and uh, hanging in there during these interesting times. I guess. I guess with that, uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this fifth act episode of the Kentucky Route Zero podcast. Uh, you can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. Uh, we'll find a contact form. That's where you can get in touch with us, or you can email us at info at theshortgame.net, or you can find us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. You can also find us on Patreon. Of course, you go to patreon.com slash theshortgame. That's the best way to support the show. And every patron uh, through Patreon also gets instant access to our Discord, which is the best way to chat with us about the show uh, and chat with us about the games that you're playing, the games that we're playing. We still have an active community on there talking about things like Animal Crossing and just chit-chatting about what happens to be going on in our lives. It's a great place to suggest games as well if you want to let us know what you think we ought to be playing. Uh, And of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Reagan K at Reagan K R A Y G A N K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to the short game. <laughs>